As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Some material may be disturbing, and we do use adult language. Listener discretion is advised. To get access to new episodes, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Get in on the conversation on Instagram and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast, where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. But don't take our word for it. <laughs> now on to today's case. Oh, man. Welcome back. Hey. To Killer Queens. I didn't realize you were going to keep talking about stuff, so <laughs> just interjected. That was the end of the podcast. Bye. <laughs> um, okay, so today we are going to do a case that I stumbled upon in the Web Sleuth Oblivion or abyss. And um, it's actually a Tennessee case. So we've had a lot of people ask for uh, more like local, local cases and lesser known cases. And this one is not really well known. There's not a lot out there about it. Um, There's not a lot of evidence, which is a big part of it. Um, But it's a really interesting case. So you know, without further ado, here we go. Uh, so it's obviously you clicked on it, so it's called the Redhead Murders, but, um, it's also referred to as the Bible Belt Strangler. So there's a couple different names for it, but it was originally referred to as the Redhead Murders. So this is an unsolved case, which is really like kind of radiates outward from Knoxville, Tennessee. So that's kind of the central hub. And the killings are believed to have taken place between 1978 to about 1992. And it's a big span. It's a big span. And it's across multiple states, including Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky, Mississippi, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. What? All over the place. Random. So that's not really the Bible Belt at that point. Yeah. So, yeah, it's kind of. It could be even more states. I mean, they just don't know, but the ones that they've really linked to it are are there. Um, the most likely or widely believed theory is that this is the work of one or more serial killers um, who may have been truck drivers. And obviously, I mean, truck drivers, you know, they've got the opportunity, they have the means, and a lot of these victims were found like across state lines kind of thing. So they weren't found, the ones who were identified weren't found really where they were from. Um, 
Of the seven victims believed to be linked to this case, only four have been identified to this day. And most of the victims have reddish hair, which is where the title or term redhead murders comes from. However, there are possibly as many as 11 victims that are almost officially linked. I mean, there could be a lot more. There's really no way to know, especially if it is a truck driver. But there's an official link for seven, possibly more. Um, could be closer to that 11 number. So we're going to travel back. Oh, okay. Yep, here we go. I'm ready. To 1983. Mm. Um, before you were even a twinkle in your daddy's eye. Yep. Um, Aquanet days. I'm not really sure about 80s. Jazzercising. Sure. Jane Fonda. Was that? Yeah, Jane Fonda. Oh, yeah, Jane Fonda. Right? Yeah. Working girl, putting on your tennis shoes to get to work and then changing into your pumps once you get there. <laughs> Shoulder pads? Sure. Yeah. Dolly Parton 9 to 5? Oh, yes. Around this time? Okay. So, February 13th, 1983, a body is found in Wetzel County, West Virginia. She was found along Route 250 in Wetzel County, West Virginia. So, this is the town of Littleton. Um, the person at this time was unidentified. And what we really have is... And what I'm going to do with all of these victims is pull information from their the Doe Network uh, profile. They've got a case there. So this is case number uh, 56UFWV for West Virginia. And um, this is really where most of the information is going to be on the victims because we don't know who a lot of them are. So it's it's really sad and unfortunate. But they believe that she died two to three days before. She does have a recognizable face. Um, she's about 30 to 45 years old at the time of death. Um, and she, this victim is going to be on the higher end of the age range of the victims of these cases. 30 to 45 is, is higher than the others. Um, she's female, auburn hair. Um, eye color is possibly brown. Um, she does have some distinguishing marks or features. There's a scar on her index finger. She does have a C-section scar. She's got double pierced ears. Her toenails were painted orange at the time, and her legs and underarms were shaved. Her blood type is type B. Um, she does also have an upper denture that was likely fitted within eight weeks prior to her death. So that was kind of where police wanted to start because they thought there's got to be a dental record somewhere of somebody with these very particular dentures. Um, so unfortunately, they didn't get anywhere with that, but that was something that they really tried to start with um, because it was so fresh. So they thought, you know, somebody's going to have a record of that. Yeah, I could see them starting there. Yeah. And especially since there wasn't a missing person that in their jurisdiction that seemed to match that. So um, an elderly couple had spotted what they believed to be an unclothed body or mannequin lying face down in the snow over a hill near Route 250 at around noon on Sunday, February the 13th, 1983. And it was an area that was known for illegal trash disposal. So, I mean, it wasn't unheard of to find something dumped there. Um, 
the woman had been dead for two or three days, but they believe the body was only dumped a few hours before being found because it had freshly, like there's fresh fallen snow. Um, and, and it was around her, but there wasn't any snow up on top of her body. Like it hadn't accumulated there and there were tracks and footprints kind of leading away from or leading to, I guess. Sure. Did the stairs go up? Did they go down also? (laughs) Same thing. Um, But there were tracks and footprints that indicated she probably had died somewhere else and was just transported there um, right before she was was, uh, found, essentially. And, you know, like we said, the investigators were hoping that they could really start with that recently fitted denture. And they were just, after interviewing lots of different dental offices, they were unable to make any kind of a match. Um, And after this case, identification numbers were added to future models of dentures. So had that taken place before, we may have been able to identify her. Um, There was a possibility that this particular victim could have worked as a prostitute in the Pittsburgh area. Um, so the scope of the identification was widened and a local investigator also believed the woman could have had ties to Marshall County, West Virginia. Um, so it was, it was just really hard to figure out. I mean, if she came from across state lines, that's going to make it very difficult. Um, you know, and you're going, you're talking from West Virginia all the way to to Pittsburgh. Like, that's a huge, it could have been anywhere in between, you know, any city or even cross country. Like, you just don't know. Um, But as far as her cause of death, um, there appeared to be no evidence of a struggle or sexual assault or signs of violence at the scene of the body. Um, so it, again, she was probably just dumped there. So there's not really going to be, if she was already dead when she was dumped, then she's not going to, there's not going to be signs of a struggle. But the autopsy revealed, well, there could have been, I mean, like if she had fingernails removed or, you know what I mean? Like if she fought before. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. There was just nothing like disturbed at the scene. Right. Because you know, the snow had just kind of fallen and it it seemed like she had just been placed there. Totally. But um, she didn't have really, she didn't have leakage remarks. She didn't have bruising. Um, they think that she was probably suffocated because there wasn't really any, any obvious cause of death. Um, but they do believe that she was murdered. So they did determine that it was homicide. They think it was suffocation. And, um, the unidentified woman was given a funeral and a couple in the area, like, adopted her and they paid for her funeral and they at least oh, wow. buried her. Yeah. It's really sweet. So she's really the first victim that got tied in with the redhead murders and she didn't get tied in until later and she's still kind of a maybe, but she did have the reddish colored hair and she was dumped alongside a busy highway, which all of these victims were. That's one thing that they have in common. So then we go on to September the 16th, 1984. 
The body of a 28-year-old female is found along I-40 near West Memphis, Arkansas. She was wearing only a sweater. She had strawberry blonde hair and appeared to have been strangled. On New Year's Day 1985, the body of a woman between the ages of 17 and 30 were found along I-75 in Campbell County, Tennessee. She was wearing a, a tan pullover, a shirt underneath, jeans, and she also had red hair. So, some of the investigators, when they're, once they link all these together, there is still speculation. And we'll never know if they're all really connected because there's not this one thing that's like the same DNA as on all of them or anything like that. But right. they, you know, are referred to as the redhead murders. There's lots of different shades of red hair. And like this victim having strawberry blonde hair, they're like, is that really red hair? Can you really consider that red hair? Like some people do, some people don't. So there's a little bit of that kind of wiggle room with it, I guess. But she's, this victim really is one that is pretty much identified as a, as a redhead murder victim. Okay. She was between two and a half and five months pregnant at the time of her death. And she was about five feet, four inches tall. Um, her, Doe Network case number is UT01-85D, as in dog. Um, she was discovered... <laughs> she was discovered in uh, La Follette, which is in Campbell County, Tennessee. They think that she died 72 hours before she was found. Um, she was found down an embankment off the shoulder of the southbound lane of I-75, and that's about 12 miles from the Kentucky border. So she was, like, right there on the border. Um, she had been bound, and she was definitely strangled. Um, she was found with a removable partial dental plate for uh, the two upper central teeth, and it had probably been in place for about nine months before her death. She had all her wisdom teeth. She didn't have any fillings. Um, she had green eyes. She was about 110 to 115 pounds. Uh, when she was found, they estimated she was 17 to 30 years old. And her her face was not recognizable. She was pretty severely decomposed by the time they found her. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I was going to say that the age range is so big. But yeah. I guess. Yeah. It, yeah. With those, with some of those, it's really hard just because you can't, unfortunately, you can't see. Um, she had lots of freckles. She had both of her ears pierced twice. She had several scars, a healed burn, the size of a silver dollar was seen on the inside of her left arm. She had marks on both arms, scars on both knees, a two-inch long scar on her forehead, and a scar on her right hand. Um, she had possibly undergone cosmetic surgery in the past. She was 10 to 12 weeks pregnant at the time that she was found, and there was evidence in the autopsy that she had given birth to another child. Mm. So, she... Um, she was a she was a mother and mm -hmm. about to be a mother again. It's so sad. Um, on April the 3rd, 1985, the partial remains of a girl between 9 and 15 were found near Big Wheel Gap Road in Campbell County. So this is really, really close. Um, 
This one is the youngest of the victims. So, again, they don't know exactly how old she was. She was found with shreds of clothing, size 5 boots, a necklace and a bracelet made of plastic buttons nearby her body. And they're not 100% sure that any of those things belonged to her. Um, They don't know her cause of death. They don't know her height, her eye color, her hair color, none of that. Um, She may have been killed anywhere from one to four years before the discovery of her remains. Yeah, they're they're just not sure. Um, She was seen by a passerby about 200 yards off Big Wheel Gap Road. Um, Only 32 bones were recovered, so a skull which was intact enough for a head and face reconstruction. So they were able to do kind of like a facial reconstruction, like drawing or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, to think about what she may have looked like, but they still were not sure. I mean, her age range is a little, you know, a nine-year-old looks a lot different than a 15-year-old. But that's really all they know about her. Um, they don't even know if, like I said, any of the things they found around her belonged to her. Wow. Um, cause everything was so scattered and all they found was her head and a few other bones. So on March 31st, 1985, another victim is located in Cheatham County, Tennessee. Um, which I think that's fairly close. I've heard of Cheatham County a lot on the news. I feel like they get out of school a lot for they snow. They do. Lots yeah. of little ducks. Yeah. I always hear about Cheatham County for school clothing. Cheatham clothes. and Robertson, I feel like. but Oh, yeah. Robertson, too. Um, so, partial remains are skeletal found um, in Cheatham County in Pleasant View. And they believe that this victim died about two to five months before she was found um and all of these victims are white female they're going to be in different age ranges all with red strawberry blonde brown hair mm-hmm. um if they know can find the hair color um there is a dna sample available for this victim um as according to the doe network it hasn't been submitted yet Um, There was a light pink shirt with pink flowers, a pink sweater with small blue spots, pants, and a black bra, and a hat with a palm tree design on it found nearby the body. So, this victim was located westbound on I-24 in Cheatham County between mile markers 29 and 30, and as of this date... She's never been identified. Mm -hmm. Um, She doesn't have a lot of, because this is skeletal remains there's not a lot of identifiers um really it's dental there's no fingerprints available um so she's got some overlapping kind of teeth um some crowding dental crowding but that's really the biggest identifier they think she was about five foot to five two um and so she was killed a couple months before she probably went missing in early 1985 but or late 1984, but again, they don't know. She was found in Cheatham County, Tennessee. Does that mean she was from that area? Maybe, maybe not. Could she have been from another part of the country? Probably. Um, it's just, it's so difficult. Um, April 1st, 1985, the remains of another female are found in a white Admiral refrigerator along Route 25 in Knox County, Kentucky. 
they think she died a couple days before. Um, her cause of death was asphyxiation. She was 24 to 35 years old. Um, small, very petite woman, 4'9 to 4'11, 100 pounds. Oh, little bitty. Yeah. Definitely had red hair. Uh, very long. And the front part of her hair was auburn colored while the back was almost brunette. She had hazel eyes. Lots of freckles. She had a small abrasion on the left side of her lower lip. Um, marks on her abdomen indicated that she had given birth at one time. So I'm guessing that's stretch marks because it doesn't say a C-section scar. Um, she, it does say she had a scar on her abdomen, but it doesn't specify that yeah, it, was it a doesn't C-section. say a C-section. <clears throat> she had a birthmark above and behind the left ankle. She had moles on the right side of her neck and under each breast. She had natural teeth. Uh, one upper front tooth was discolored, but she didn't have any dentures. Uh, no fingerprints were available, but she did have DNA available, and it was submitted to the FBI. Mm-hmm. So the only clothing that she was found wearing were dirty, short, white socks, two on each foot, one white pair and one pair white with green and yellow stripes. She had two necklaces, one with a pendant of a gold eagle with spread wings and the other with a heart-shaped pendant. And there were brown boots found nearby her body. Um, so the the refrigerator was an old white Admiral model with a decal on the front door saying Superwoman. I feel like that's a huge identifier. Like, you know, if somebody knew somebody who, like, how many people have Superwoman on their yeah, refrigerator? I'd, no, literally none. Right. Uh, There were some indications that she may have come to the area from out of state. Some reports said that she had been asking for a ride to North Carolina over a CB radio. Um, And that's another thing that a lot of these victims do have in common is that they either were last seen around a truck stop, they were hitchhiking, um, they were seen with truckers. So there's that aspect to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, April the 14th, 1985, a female victim was located beside... Geraldstown exit on I-81 in rural Greene County, and uh, that's in Tennessee as well, Greenville, uh, by a 15-year-old fishing near exit 44. So the body was approximately 58 feet off the southbound exit 44 entrance ramp. She was badly beaten and had also been stabbed. Uh, There was no physical evidence at the scene, and the autopsy revealed that she died from a blow to the head. They think that she was killed about three to six weeks prior, and her body was pretty badly decomposed. Uh, They think she was 14 to 20 years old. She was 5'4 to 5'6. She weighed 130 to 140 pounds. Her eye color was unknown. Uh, Her hair color was light brown or dark blonde with some reddish tints. It was shoulder length and very curly or wavy. Um, she had a slight overbite. She did have dental feel- fillings. I always do that. Feelings. <laughs> fillings. <laughs> and, um, they were able to get fingerprints and DNA. So she was a little different because a lot of the other ones were strangled. And so she was yeah, killed by beating. Right. Yeah. She died. She definitely had blunt force trauma to the head and she had been stabbed Let's see. I think just once. Um, oh, just a little stab. Well, I mean, oh. she didn't die from being stabbed. Like Right. Yeah. So, I don't know if the stab wound was post-mortem or not. Like, I don't know. Because um, it's possible if somebody was trying to overtake her 
maybe they hit her, didn't realize she was dead, and tried to maybe stab her and then realize she was, or vice versa. I don't know. Yeah. They did conduct isotope analysis, which indicated that she was not originally from Tennessee, but was probably born in the eastern part of the country and moved to the Midwest or Southwest after a few years. What is isotope analysis? Like, is it the kinds of, like, minerals and chemicals that could be found in her body that had to have come from a different lay of the land? I don't know. One eternity later. Okay, isotope analysis and forensics. Here we go. To see how it's possible to find out where somebody is from, here's an example on an article on pbs.org, guys, because we don't fucking know what it is. <laughs> so it says, let's... Arthur's going to tell us. <laughs> yeah. Let's follow a raindrop from a cloud over the Pacific Ocean to Saltaire Sally's strand of hair. So in this article, they're checking a strand of hair. When those clouds rain, the heavier oxygen 18 containing water molecules will fall out first. That typically happens near the coast. As the rain cloud moves inland, it's constantly losing molecules with oxygen 18, and its raindrops become isotopically lighter and lighter. Since our drinking water comes from rainwater, people near the coast drink water with more oxygen 18 atoms in it than people living inland. These atoms eventually become a part of our tissues, like hair. So it says if this victim had been in Salt Lake City in the weeks preceding her death, the hair closest to the scalp would reflect the isotopic... Isotopic? Topic? I don't know. Isotopic, I think. Okay. Okay, so then the other word should have been isotopically lighter? I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Sorry. Um would reflect the isotopic signature of Salt Lake City's local water supply. Interesting. I wasn't completely wrong. Yeah, I had no idea you could do that. I didn't either. I mean, I know I've seen them do, like, uh, on cars, like rental cars, and they'll pull the grill out and see, like, what kind of bugs or whatever got stuck in there, and they'll be like, your ass did not go where you said you went because these bugs only live in this part of the country. And I'm like, Nana would have been found out for sure because she had a bird in her grill. <laughs> Bless her. Bless that little heart. Like, those birds only live <laughs> in your neighborhood. Yeah. Um. So they said if she'd been in, say, Seattle instead, her hair's isotopic composition would contain more oxygen-18, giving them a valuable clue. So that's really interesting. So it says they can identify not just hair. Fingernails are nearly identical in composition to hair. And they leave an isotopic timeline that remains unchanged if it gets, or until it gets cut off. So you can check the elements. It's uh, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen can all be tested. So basically where you are in the country, it it goes from what you eat. It says uh, wheat, rice, and sugar beets use what's known as C3 photosynthesis. So they convert their cells, take CO2 directly from the atmosphere to convert to sugar. Corn, sorghum, and sugarcane use a different photosynthetic pathway known as C4. Mm. And in North America, where corn is common in diets, people's tissues to have high carbon-13 concentrations. Interesting. It's very interesting. Wow. So it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of like how if you smoke weed once when you're 15, 
and they pull your hair out of your head, you know, they can tell when you're 73 that you did that. <laughs> when you're 73? How many haircuts are you getting? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's, it's in there. Well, and obviously they could tell anyway because you can just look at someone and tell that they're a drug addict. Oh, yeah. For yes. Sure. And Do you they need have to pray for them. For tattoos? Sure. Do they have piercings? Tori, check, check. check. <laughs> Got it. I'm definitely going and to hell. And colored I'm definitely, hair. yes, definitely a drug addict. Yes. Yeah. Just kidding. That's one of the jokes that we like to we like to say about each other. Well, not about each other, but that Terrell likes to say about me and other people. Well, I say it as a comment on what I see other people looking at you. <laughs> it's a joke. I know. Yes, I'm okay. just joking. Okay. All right. This, you're getting on my nerves. Oh. Okay. So, all right. So now we know, guys, we know about isotope analysis. Oh my gosh, this is basically a magic school bus episode. Pretty much. Allie, if you're listening, I'm sorry that I butchered everything, probably. Miss um, Frizzle wouldn't have butchered it. <laughs> no, she wouldn't have. Um, so there you go. So she was not from the area. Yeah. Yeah. And now we know why. Authorities hoped in late April 1985 they would be able to identify her body through fingerprints, but were unsuccessful. So, because you have to have, like, somebody has to be in the database, right? Like, not everybody's fingerprints are... Right. Right. So. And they tried to match her up to six other missing women, but she she didn't match any of those either. So, they were having lots of troubles. Meanwhile... Okay, so we're still in 1985. So while all this is happening, um, on March 6th, 1985, a man named Jerry Leon Johns, he was 36 at the time of Cleveland, Tennessee, was arrested and charged with the aggravated kidnapping of Linda Shack, who was found beside I-40 with strips of cloth tied tightly around her neck. So, and that was from her shirt. So, the knot in the cloth was very similar to the knot in a piece of material tied around the neck of the Campbell County victim two months earlier. But the woman that they found that he is aggravated kidnapping, she's she lived. She lived. So, she said she survived the attack by pretending to be dead. So, she had met him at the Catch One Club with a K where Ooh. she worked. I'm not judging. I'm intrigued. I think it's still there. Stop. I'm pretty sure the catch is still there with a K. And it has the like lights with the legs, you know. It's a gentleman's club. Um, I consider myself a gentleman and a scholar. Yes. We should go. (laughs) Here, here. To privacy. (laughs) We just toasted. Um, So she met him there. She went back with him to his toe. God dang. His hotel room. She met him there, and then she went it's back with totally him. Totally hotel room. That's <laughs> to what you're going to say. Hotel room. That's what it is. And um, so they're there, and then he pulled a gun. Oh my gosh! <sighs> Give up. I know it's all the cold medicine, man. It's fucking me up. I'm tripping. <laughs> she. Mm 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 mm. He pulled a gun on her. And claimed that he was a narcotics officer with the Texas Rangers and abducted her. Walker. So he got her, basically, he got her to go with him at gunpoint. And once they had him in custody, they started questioning him about 20 unsolved murders across Tennessee, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Alabama, Texas, and Mississippi. His photo was circulated throughout FBI district offices. They, investigators described him as an extremely intelligent ex-convict. He had taken lots of courses in criminal justice, and he was quick to mention his 
interest in psychology of serial killers during the initial interview. So they bring him in there and they're asking him, obviously his MO is matching up to a lot of things um, that they've been seeing and all of these unidentified women who also had red hair. And like one of the first things he says is, um, I'm really interested in serial killers and they're in the psychology of them and studying them. And I've taken lots of courses about it. And they're like, okay, our ears are perked up. Yeah. yeah what's going red flag, on? Red flag. Yeah. So, but that would be true for us as well. Well, it would, but, but I'm just calling a spade a spade. I'm just being honest, but they, we wouldn't ever have tried to kidnap anyone at gunpoint. That's where it gets hairy. Yeah. It's murky. Yeah. There's and some then, discrepancies. <laughs> there were some discrepancies and he tried to strangle her and sure. thought she was dead. Sure. Like the whole thing left her on the side of the road. I see what you mean. Yeah. A little different saying, than, yeah. than what we do. Um, <laughs> a little bit. A little bit. So now they've got this man, you know, they're in the thick of things. He's got an alibi. He says that, you know, you can check my records of my truck because we have to keep all these like really... Um, okay. detailed records of where we're driving, where we are, where we're not, blah, 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 all this stuff. And so he's like, you'll see in there that I'm not anywhere in the area for any of these other ones. Like, yeah, maybe I tried to kidnap him, like murder this one woman, but it I, was a one time But it was a one time thing. thing. I didn't do it with anybody else. So but isn't that something that is a handwritten log? I believe so. Is yes. it a lifetime original log? <laughs> yeah. I think it's handwritten. I mean, this is 85, so they definitely don't have like... He wasn't putting it on his iPad. No, and it's not GPS or anything. Right. So... Yeah, because I was I, looking through like Reddit threads and everything, and people are like, you know, a lot of trucking companies have GPS on their trucks, and maybe he worked for himself, and then somebody else was like... It's you, 1985. Do you remember it's 1985? Like, yeah. They probably didn't have... I mean, I feel like even to have a phone in your car oh yeah you know you had to be like a millionaire so yeah i'm probably not gonna right yeah i'm just saying maybe just maybe he lied Uh, yeah exactly um but the trouble was that once he got arrested see he was arrested in early march and we still had more victims after that that died same way with the same kind of MO and everything. Yeah, but they died within... Like, he would have been incarcerated sure. yeah. at that point. So, again, could it have... I mean, it could have been more than one person. It doesn't mean it was just him, but it does seem like that kind of ruled him out, too, because it's not like they stopped once he was arrested. Yeah, um, and that's what you would hope for if you felt like you got the guy. Yeah, exactly. So, in the next episode, we're going to get into all the the suspects and everything, because there's going to be more suspects. Um, not a lot, really. Not a lot of viable ones, I think. Um, but we're also going to get into the high school team or class sociology class that actually developed a profile on this killer and it's really started to heat up in the last few months so a lot some of these victims were identified so we had several victims that have never been identified to this day um, but we do have a few that that were so the female that was found on I-40 in West Memphis, Arkansas in September of 84, she was later identified as Lisa Nichols, um, and she also went by Jarvis. So she was identified 
nine months after she was strangled um, through fingerprints. So she had actually been arrested previously and they were able to match that up. She was identified positively through a lot of reports say a couple that she stayed with um, who lived in Florida. This was apparently a pimp and his partner or something. Um, but they said that she was, they think she was murdered after leaving a truck stop trying to hitchhike. Um, and she had stayed with them in Florida for a while. So they were able to positively identify her. And this was much later that investigators ended up talking to her, but her uh, remains, her fingerprints were able to be matched up. And then another victim. So this is the victim that was one of the victims found in Campbell County. Uh, the one wearing the tan pullover jeans and she was pregnant at the time of her death. Mm-hmm. Um, she was later identified as Tina Marie McKinney Farmer of Indiana. So, fingerprinting was the method of identification for her as well. She was 21 at the time of her death. So, her her age range was 17 to 30. So, I mean, she's in there, but that's a huge range. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, she was 21 at the time of her death. Uh, she was from Indianapolis, Indiana. She was reported missing by her family shortly after Thanksgiving Day 1984. And they were able, they had um, fingerprints on file for her because she had been arrested in Indiana as well. So, she was... Um, last seen, they believe, accompanied by a trucker headed to Kentucky. And she had one daughter prior to disappearing in 1984, and her autopsy revealed that they thought she'd given birth before. Um, So her daughter was very young at the time that she went missing. And um, she was reported missing by her family, but authorities in Indiana didn't enter her into the national databases, and there was no law in Indiana, like most others that require them to do so. So actually, Tennessee is one of only four states that requires missing persons to be entered into national databases like NamUs. Why? I really don't know. I don't know if it's just an extra step. Like, I don't know what the deal is, but... Too much paperwork or something? Like, that's just so silly. Yeah. So had she been entered into that database, they would have found her or at least identified her a lot sooner. And her daughter actually, so she was not identified until September of 2018. So it's very recently. Yeah. Like 30 years. And then her daughter actually died of cancer last year Uh, before she was ever identified. And what they learned was that, well, first of all, now her family knows that she was murdered. She didn't just walk away and start a new life somewhere. And so her, her family said that her daughter struggled with that for years because they know that her mom just didn't want to be with her anymore. Yeah. She didn't know. Like, did my mom just decide to go have a family with somebody else and, and leave me here? Like, does she not want me? No closure. Yeah. So she never got that. Um, and there, there are a lot of people fighting for that law to be instated, And so if you live in a state that doesn't have that law, I mean, write a letter or whatever. I mean, luckily we do have that law, but I was also reading that it's not like every investigator actually follows it. Um, So there's that. But 
at least it's on the right track, I guess. So I guess we'll kind of have to keep a close eye on that. But um, it's it's been brought up as a federal law before, and it's always been shot down. But, I mean, there's so many things because the the initial problem with this case has always been that they didn't know who the victims were. And again, you have to start with the victim and try to work your way out. So it's really hard to do with like a trucker kind of situation or whatever. And some of these victims, a lot of them were sex workers who were definitely visiting truck stops and going with whoever it is that they were going to go with. But there are, even with that, there are other women like in Pretty Woman, like, you know, Kit and Viv, they always kept an eye on each other. So Mm -hmm. it's like, is there like a buddy system? Could somebody else have known like who she went with or the type of person she went with or what kind of truck they drove even, how tall they were, like anything. And then that could help solve the cases. Yeah. Or was it somebody that some of these women knew? Like, you know, but you can't find that circle of people until you know who your victim is. So had that been done a lot sooner because she she was found pretty soon after she died it's not like she was there for 30 years before they found her so you know there's just there's all that so so silly um slamming pretty woman reference thank you loved it yeah the woman who was found in april of 85 in the refrigerator was later identified as and this was in October of 2018, was identified as Epsi Regina Black Pilgrim um, of North Carolina. So she went missing from North Carolina. Um, But she wasn't identified until October of 2018. And all of these are, are using, you know, the increased technology that we've got now. But... Um, in November of 2018, the woman who was found in Greenville, Tennessee, um, by that the kid who was fishing and who was the only one to have died by blunt force trauma. And the stab wound, too. I mean, not, didn't die had, from it, yeah, but yeah, she, she had, had a stab wound. Um, she was identified, this was November of 2018, as Elizabeth Lamott, who was 17 at the time of her death. So she had disappeared on April 6, 1984. And, um, she was identified through a DNA match from her family. Uh, so her daughter actually submitted her DNA and thought that that was probably her mom. So Elizabeth had been staying in a group home in Manchester, New Hampshire, and never returned. And her parents reported her missing. Uh, she was endangered missing for over 30 years. I mean, it was 2018 before she was finally identified. So, um, and she was found in Tennessee. That's a long way. Um, so, so now we've got this man in custody. He is definitely fits a lot of the profile. Um, and in 1987, he was convicted of aggravated kidnapping, attempted murder. He got 73 years in prison and he later died in prison. So, uh, and again, the murders didn't stop, or at least the bodies didn't stop piling up. So, and at least one or two of them would have been, would have been killed while he was incarcerated. So unfortunately it doesn't look like, you know, we got 
that man, but I mean, he definitely needed to be off the streets. Um, so next week we'll talk about all the, all the different suspects and then the, where the investigation stands now because it's still unsolved. That is so scary. It's scary. Crazy town. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of crazy town references. (laughs) Come my lady, come, come my lady. Whoa. Whoa. So I thought, um, to wrap up we could talk about because we've gotten a few questions about how we come up with the cases that we want to cover where we get our research from i can reassure you it's not from wikipedia no i mean you know wikipedia is out there but yeah there's a lot of other we don't just read from wikipedia no but um some of the cases that that i've you know because we pick we go back and forth sometimes and like, okay, well, I want to do this one. I want to do this one. And I've, over the years of watching all of the true crime documentaries that we have or the true crime shows that we have, because like we get it honest, we've watched Most Evil and Cold Case Files and American Justice and City Confidential, like growing up, that's what we've always watched. And so I've found a lot of inspiration from those shows and it's pretty awesome, like, whoever put all of those things, like, on the internet, uh, the old shows, is my hero, because I love watch- rewatching yeah. them and, like, finding other things. But, like, that show, Most Evil, Dr. Stone, he made a list of, um, it's, like, 1 to 22, and 22 is the most evil you can get. And so he puts different criminals at different stages, like, you know, number one is, like, definitely evil, but not as evil as, like, say, Charles Manson or whoever, so... I like to go on that list and find different people that are either unknown or not very familiar to me. Um, And then I always love getting ideas from other people. Like, I feel like we get a lot of suggestions coming in. And so that's really awesome. Yeah. And you can always send us a message on Instagram or on Facebook or our email, Mm -hmm. uh, killerqueenspodcast at gmail.com. For sure. So yeah. And and we have a discussion group. And so a lot of people will post up there too. So we get a lot of really good recommendations for sure. Yeah. And we do have people ask for stuff that's like not as well known and, you know, stuff like that. And I get ideas too from some podcasts that I listen to, like if it's a case that I'm like, whoa, I want to know everything I can possibly know about that, then I'll, I'll add it to the list too. So we've got like hundreds of cases on the list probably. Yes. Right now. So if you have any, <clears throat> send them our way. And some yes. of them have not a lot on them. Like this case doesn't really have a lot on it. I think it's interesting though, just because of how, I think it really just highlights how difficult it is to identify people. Um, And sure, some of these people lived a transient lifestyle or whatever. Maybe they were on drugs or maybe they were sex workers or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be identified and it doesn't mean that they deserve to die. So there's this case is still unsolved and especially since it's a local case for us i thought that bringing attention to it could you know if somebody out there knows something like or heard something or you know your grandfather said something or has something in his garage that you always thought was weird and it sparks you know it's just like there's always there's always something because this guy could still be alive Mm -hmm. and maybe he's just not a truck driver anymore and that's why the killing stopped because they just stopped um as far as that match this. Um, but especially when it's something, you know, kind of local, you can, (laughs) 
you can get um, more people involved. And I'm sorry, I, maybe get some. <laughs> we're both suffering from Guys, a cold type really situation. Cold. <laughs> yeah, so I'm trying not to cough my brains up, and then. I can't breathe, so when I'm talking, I'm getting really out of breath. Yes, and it's just funny because she'll like, to, like go off the mic for a second, and, and it's just like really funny. <laughs> yeah, how's that for mouth noises, guys? Ooh, sorry. Whoops. People who have their earbuds in, sorry about it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, we've got the the February cold, whatever's yes. going around. Well, and it is seventy degrees here, so what do we expect? You know? Yeah, it's up and down. Um. So yeah. So next week we'll get into suspects sure we'll get into where the case the is now people yeah. and what they're doing with it um and and we'll go from there perfect love it all right and send us case ideas you can support the show on patreon you can just leave us a review send us a nice message we love it yes we do love it yeah but thank you so much for listening and we will catch you next week catch you next week bye bye As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.